Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Ron, unfiltered, uncensored, having completed our 400th podcast. So thank you very much for allowing me to come into your headphones. This program contains general medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this program with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician. And I do welcome you today with an attitude of gratitude, and I am very grateful to Feedspot, who has continually kept us and, and sent us awards to be that we are in the top 50 of Dr. Podcasts on the web. So thank you, Feedspot. And ladies and gentlemen, because of some technical difficulties, I want to get right into the program today because we have a gentleman who I've, who I've known for quite some time. His name is Frank Polyophico. Uh, he's a medical professional, he's an author, he's a writer, he's a teacher, he's an innovator. He's been doing this for a lot of years, ladies and gentlemen, and I, I met uh, Mr. Polyovko in the late 60s. Uh, he then went on to get his, uh, his uh, Bachelor of Nursing degree, and we worked together in, in emergency rooms in Chester, Pennsylvania. But that wasn't enough for him. He went on to become a nationally recognized leader in emergency medical services. He established the Emergency Medical Service Program in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. He was the first chief of EMS in Chester, Pennsylvania, one of the first paramedic programs in Northeastern United States. He then became director of the EMS, Emergency Medical Services, in New York City, and if I read the rest of this, we'd use up all our time. He has authored textbooks. He has written articles. Uh, he uh, is uh, executive director for a nonprofit, AED, uh, uh, Defibrillator Instructor Foundation. Uh, and he has managed and established some of the most successful sudden cardiac arrest response programs for the Federal Aviation Administration. FAA, ladies and gentlemen, nationwide air traffic control towers and offices. And I know he has done work for the Surgeon General, Medical Care at Sea, 
and in fact has a publication called Ships Medicine Chest. So without further ado, let me introduce uh, uh, Mr. Polyovko, who's going to share some of his knowledge and, and, and even more important, his expertise in how to handle emergencies, uh, practical, life-saving uh, tips. And today will just be part one. Next week we'll have part two where we'll invite you to, to join in and ask questions. So, Frank, good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Dr. Ron. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, and, and our audience's pleasure. We have a lot of people uh, listening to the podcast, and uh, we stopped talking a lot about COVID, and we have been talking over the past couple of months about how to be healthy. We want to get our health span equal to our lifespan. And, uh, of course, this, this topic is perfect because it can help us to, to keep living. So um, there are a lot of emergencies I'm sure you, you want to talk about, uh, chest pain, cardiac arrest, and so forth. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you because you're, you're, you're a fantastic speaker and, and our audience is, is going to, really going to love your information. Well, again, I, I appreciate that. And as you said in the introduction, uh, very flattering, most of my early career was in emergency medical services and emergency medicine, emergency departments. Um, but I learned something. As we improved that end of the medical spectrum, because beforehand it was nothing, um, there was still a missing link, and the missing link was what happens first before we even get called, before the patient even comes into the ER. And so it's vitally important that people know what to do until that EMS unit arrives or until they get to the emergency department. And we know that a lot of times people get no care at all, and we can't do anything for them at the ER or in the back of the ambulance. So clearly it's, it's important. Um, we generally break emergencies down to serious medical emergencies into two types. Um, we say those who look dead, not breathing, no heartbeat, and those who clearly are in distress but still have a heartbeat and breathing. So let's talk about that latter group first. The, the, the leading cause of death is complications. More people die from complications than any other single cause. And that comes from long-term illness, but it also especially comes in emergency situations. If we can minimize those complications, we give that person a second chance at life. And that really is the goal. Uh, we, we throw that term out. We learn to save lives. We don't save lives. Uh, a surgeon down in Houston by the name of Red Duke had a great quote. He said, we don't save lives. God does. We just entertain the victim. But God decides what's going to do for him. So our goal is to do something for somebody who we see having distress or we see having an emergency so that whatever is going on doesn't get worse. We're not going to fix it, but we don't want it to get worse. Um, and I want to start with, with the, the reality that when you see someone who has changed color, who's having trouble speaking, who's collapsed, uh, who clearly is complaining of a, a serious pain, you're going to be nervous about that. You're going to be emotional. That's normal. That's human. But unfortunately, as emotions increase, logic decreases. So it's important to have a plan, to know what, I, what you're going to do, and then channel that emotional energy to do that plan. Um, Number one thing I want to talk about is just someone who appears to have collapsed. They fainted, as we say. Uh, we don't know right away that someone who's collapsed has fainted. We don't know if they're in cardiac arrest or just passed out. The key thing is to see if they're breathing. Life happens in the human being because of oxygen to the brain. I call it juice to the squash. The more juice we get to the squash, the better we do. Well, in medical emergencies, that gets interrupted. For a variety of reasons, oxygen's not going to the brain. And so we have to help enhance what oxygen is available 
to get to the brain. So the first thing I want to do if I see somebody who's down is see if they're breathing. Now, if they talk to me, they're breathing, guaranteed. Anybody talks to you is breathing. You can't talk if you're not breathing. So that's a good sign. If they're not talking, we have to see if they're breathing. Now, some people hold a compact mirror under their nose, hold their hand over their face, and feel for breathing. That's not the way to do it. Even sticking your ear over the nose and mouth, the way we used to teach it, that's not the way to do it. The best way to know if somebody's breathing is to take your hand and put it on their upper belly, lower chest. In fact, I want all the reader, listeners to do it right now. You've got to learn how to check for breathing. Take your hand, put it on your upper belly, lower chest, and take a breath. Feel that breath go in and out. Take another one. Feel it. It's very subtle. And take a deep breath. Let it in. Let it out. You feel it. Now, keep your hand there a minute and hold your breath. Don't breathe. You feel the difference when there's no movement? That's what we're going to do. We're going to check to see if they're breathing. If they're breathing, that's a good sign. I don't have to do CPR. We'll talk about CPR next time. If they're breathing, something, there's still life present in this person, and we can do something to help. Immediately, we want to call for help. The best thing we can do for that person who's collapsed and is still breathing is get on the phone and call 911. It used to be you had to run down the hall or run to the kitchen. Now everybody has a cell phone. Grab the phone, dial 911. Get emergency medical services on the way. We have fantastic EMS services throughout the country. Florida is especially blessed because uh, Florida was one of the pioneers, almost statewide, in, in early emergency medical service development. Uh, in fact, when I started my program in Pennsylvania, I went down to Florida, visited Jacksonville, Miami, um, uh, St. Petersburg, to see what they were doing uh, because they really led the way. So you got great EMS services, but you got to get them coming. They don't show up automatically. So see if they're breathing. If they're breathing, they're not talking to you. Get EMS on the way immediately. Uh, you have something to tell them when you call. Uh, keep that person down as they wake up. And sometimes, especially, especially people who faint, uh, they want to get up. They don't get up. Once they're down, they stay down so you can get help on the way. You want to make sure they're okay uh, and that help is there and taking care of them. So don't move them. Keep them down till help gets there. One of the other emergencies that scares people a lot is what we call a seizure, a convulsion, where someone all of a sudden spontaneously collapses and they're shaking violently. Almost looks like they're break dancing and there's no music playing. Uh, and there's a lot of myths about seizures. Um, but the reality is there's some things you can do that can help this person. There's not a whole lot you can do to stop the seizure. Uh, so if somebody starts shaking violently, don't lay across their body to hold them still. They'll buck you right off and you'll get hurt. Uh, don't put your fingers in their mouth. That ain't going to help. In fact, you won't get them in their mouth because their jaw is stiff. Um, for someone having a seizure, what you want to do is protect their head. Get behind them, get alongside of them. Try to immobilize the head. Don't hold it stiff, but don't let it bang on the floor. Try to protect them. You can't hold them down. You just try to protect them as best you can. Move things out of the way if possible. Seizures don't last as long as most people think. If you watch somebody having a seizure, you think it lasts forever. Average seizure is probably about 45 to maybe 90 seconds, if that. So it'll stop. And when it stops, keep that person lying down again. Now you have an unresponsive, unconscious person. Keep them lying down. Um, if they want to get up, tell them no. As they wake up, they're going to be very confused. That very frequently happens. Uh, medically, we call that a post-ictal state. All it means is they're confused. 
they could be embarrassed. Often during the seizure, people, pe- seizure, people wet themselves, they mess themselves. So they're embarrassed and they want to be left alone. You stay with them, tell them help's on the way. Get help coming and then tell them help's on the way. Um, nothing in their mouth. One of the big old mistakes and myths that people made about seizures is stick a spoon in their mouth or a wallet in their mouth. Definitely not your fingers. Uh, you put nothing in their mouth. The only way you get something in their mouth is to break their jaw and break their teeth because they're clinched down. Nothing in the mouth. I don't care what grandmom said, don't put anything in their mouth, not while they're shaking and stiff. Once they relax and they're no longer shaking and stiff, you may want to put them on their side because they may bring up secretions. And those secretions sometimes look like froth. Well, all it is is saliva that they worked into a froth because they're seizuring. Wipe their mouth out. Uh, but don't put your finger in their mouth uh, and keep them on their side. So whatever is coming out is, is draining out. Sometimes you may see little tinges of blood in that trough. That's because they probably bit their tongue uh, when they started the seizure. Uh, so you can't stop them from doing that. That happened right at the beginning. Put them on their side uh, until they wake up, until EMS shows up. Uh, and then keep them down until EMS shows up. And they have to go to the hospital. A lot of times I've seen seizure patients, well, I've had these before. I, I, I know what to do. Uh, I'll be okay. If someone has a seizure, they've had to be checked. We don't know why they had the seizure. Maybe their medicine has to be adjusted. Maybe they got injured during the seizure. I've seen people break bones during the seizure. They, they shake so, so violently. They have to be evaluated uh, to see do they, why did they have the seizure? Did they get hurt during that seizure? You just keep them quiet, stay with them, and reassure them. And be prepared for them to deny anything's wrong and to maybe get nasty with you. Leave me alone. I said I'm okay. I'm going to stay with you. Help's on the way. Um, if that's, possible. That's, that's great advice. Frank, I just wanted to hop in a second. That's just great advice to, to stop a seizure patient from hurting themselves. And if you can, you know, if you could put your finger in their mouth, they're going to, if they're not clinched down, they will bite your finger. So excellent advice, excellent advice to keep them on the side so they don't swallow any of that saliva they're bringing up and maybe get into their lungs. So right on, right on, and great advice, Frank. I'm sorry, continue. Good. Thank you. No, it's fine. No, shine in any time. Um, another concern is someone who has a heart condition and all of a sudden is complaining of chest pain or discomfort. Uh, now, women and men have heart, different types of heart attacks. Women don't experience, or at least they don't complain, of serious crushing chest pain the way men do. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. They just have a funny sensation. They have trouble getting their breath. And they're anxious. They know something's wrong. People, the brain knows when something's wrong, and people will act appropriately. If you suspect that someone may, who has, especially someone who has a heart condition to begin with, is having a problem, get help coming. The first thing you want to do is call 911. Get help coming. If 911 comes and all it was they needed to burp, and once they burp they felt better, 911 will leave. Uh, it's better to have 911 come than not come. Uh, so get whenever you suspect something could be serious, not it is, it could be, call 911. They'll talk to you on the phone. They'll triage over the phone. They have ask some questions. And when they get there, they'll ask more questions and decide what, what they have to do. What you want to do for that person, though, who you think may be having a heart problem, or has had one in the past, is put them in a comfortable position, generally sitting up. They're not going to want to lay down for you. Many of those people have trouble breathing. So you lay them flat, they can't breathe. So let them sit up. Let them in a position that they're comfortable. 
Um, if they take medicine, if they're prescribed medicine by their doctor when they have this chest pain or discomfort, uh, generally nitroglycerin is the most common one, help them take their medicine. Don't give them one of yours that you have left over from grandpa's estate. You want to give them their medicine, only theirs, and only one little pill. These are tiny little pills under the tongue. Sometimes now it comes in little spray bottles, one spray. A lot of people think, well, if one's good, three's better. Not with this one, it's not. Nitroglycerin opens up the blood vessels that are serving the heart, and that's one of the problems with a heart attack. The, the coronary arteries become clogged for a variety of reasons. So we want to open those up. Uh, so only one. Don't try to give them more than one. And if they have that pain continuing, five minutes later, give them another one, and then five minutes later, the third one, and that's it. Never more than three, because we've seen people get into serious trouble from an overdose of nitroglycerin. Uh, so it's very important that you never give them more than three and you're giving them theirs, either the little white pill, pill under their tongue or a little spray with their can, uh, little spray thing of, of uh, nitroglycerin. And don't mix that up with their banaca. Bad breath is not their problem. Uh, now, one of the things you hear a lot about now is aspirin. You see it advertised. And generally, I get very upset about commercials for medication because they're hyping sales of their medication. But the aspirin commercial is right on. If someone's having chest discomfort, what they need to do as soon as possible is get an aspirin into them. Uh, a one adult aspirin um, or a couple baby aspirins and have them chew it. Have them swallow it. Get it into this blood system as soon as possible. Actually, if they chew it, it starts to get in their blood system right from their mouth. And what aspirin does, it doesn't thin the blood. It makes it less viscous. It, it slows down the clotting. And it's the clotting of that blood that area of the heart that's where the vessel is blocked that causes the most problem. So we want to slow down that clotting, and aspirin will help do that. Um, some people, their doctors tell them, take an aspirin every day. If your doctor wants you to, do it. Uh, I wouldn't start taking aspirin all by myself on my own. And the reason is because maybe I have a problem that aspirin's going to make it worse. If I have a problem with ulcers, I don't want to be taking aspirin because uh, they'll cause those ulcers to bleed very possibly. So, one adult, three baby aspirin, and that's it. No other medicines, and keep them comfortable. Uh, they may start to break into a sweat. They may complain that they're cold. Put a blanket on them. Keep them comfortable. Talk to them. Reassure them. Let people know help is on the way because they're scared more than anything. Uh, and often being scared leads to that major health problem called denial. Denial is not a river in Egypt. Denial is a human defense mechanism. If I deny it, anything's wrong, I don't have to worry about it, and you'll leave me alone. So they, they deny it. They say, well, are you crazy? Yes, they're a little bit psychotic at that moment. They're not crazy. They're mentally in a state that don't want to deal with the problem. So you have to be reassuring them. Look, I know you, 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 you're saying you're okay, but you had this problem and this, and you had this. You, you were sweating. You, had, you were rubbing your chest. Please, just sit still. Wait till EMS shows up. Uh, and that's the best you can do. The other serious medical emergency that we encounter, with about injuries as, as trauma-related, is someone who could be having a stroke. Um, and strokes are now, we call them brain attacks. Because basically it's a problem in the brain very similar to what happens in the heart. It's either a, a ruptured or a blocked artery serving the brain. And when that happens, that part of the brain is no longer working. Uh, this is someone who could appear to have suddenly have a headache, suddenly be confused more than normal. Um, I have relatives that are always confused, so I know they're not having a stroke. Um, they could complain of dizziness. 
They may have weakness in one extremity or both. Or they start to have facial drooping. They just can't talk right because their, their jaws drop into one side. Their lips are swinging to one side. Um, this is an indication that something's going on. Um, so the key warning signs, again, that this is what the problem could be is weakness or numbness, uh, sudden dimness or loss of vision, uh, difficulty speaking. And when they're speaking, they make no sense at all. Again, more than normal. Um, and they have a severe headache. They may or may not have it, but they could. Um, and unexplained dizziness. That means something's going on. Get help. The sooner we get the stroke patient into the, uh, car, in the, into the emergency department, the quicker we can resolve that problem. It's amazing what a science, a, a neuroscience has now been able to accomplish with people who had, had these brain attacks, these strokes. The problem for most people, though, who don't feel them, is you're not sure. Is it a stroke or is it just he had too, a couple of drinks too much or, you know, it's hot outside, which could also cause a problem. Don't take a chance. Better to be wrong than dead right. Anybody who's, uh, again, unable to smile, or when they smile, one side of their mouth goes up, the other side goes down. When they talk, it's, it's incoherent, or there's slurred speech, and they haven't been drinking. Um, ask them to stick their tongue out. They stick their tongue out, and it goes to one side or the other and not straight out. That's not a good indication. It means something's going on. If they can't raise both arms, something's going on. Get help coming. It, we don't know how bad it is, but we do know now that with stroke patients, with brain attack patients, the quicker we help them, the better they do. But we've got to get them to the hospital. We have medicines that will dissolve the clot. We can go in and stop the bleeding, if that's what it is. But we've got to have them get there. And so it's your job to call for help and then keep them at rest. And reassure them. It's scary for them as it is for you. It's especially scary, and I've talked to patients afterwards who try to talk, and what comes out of their mouth is not what they were thinking. And they realize that what came out of their mouth, what they just said, is not what they were trying to say. And that's really scary. So stay with yeah. them, reassure them, um, and get them, get them to the hospital uh, by, via EMS. Don't put them in your car and drive them. Make sure EMS is doing it because if things go south on the way, they can take care of that where you can if they're sitting next to you in the car or laying in your back seat. Let's talk about Excellent a couple advice. of injury situations. Frank, uh, Frank just one thing. How about, about asking them to puff out their cheeks? Do you still do that? Or ask them the time of day or who's president or whatever? Well, there's things that we would ask them medically, but there's, there, the more I would ask, tell somebody who's not in our business, the less they'll do. We, so, Two or three things is enough. And if those signs are there, fine. But the more, those are good indicators. But making a diagnosis is the worst thing in the world for an infrequent responder because they don't see okay. enough. You know as a physician how many times you saw various cases as an intern and a resident before we called you doctor. You have to see a lot of it. Uh, people say to me all the time, G-Frag, I got this problem. What doctor should I see? And my answer is always the same. See somebody who's seen it before a lot of times. And so there are, a lot of, there are a lot of things they can check for, but the more we ask people to check for, the less likely they're going to remember to do any of them. So a couple quick things. And that's why the, the acronym, and we see that around now, is, is called SMILE. You know, can they smile? So S, do they make a smile? Um, oh, I'm sorry, it's, it's, the acronym is called uh, S-T-S-R, we call it STAR, all right? Can they smile? Can they talk? 
Can they stick their tongue out? Can they raise their arms? Those are good indicators that something's going on. There are other indicators that you're going to look at if they came to you in the emergency room. But initially, to really raise the red flag, I'm going to ask those simple questions. Um, Okay. let's, Let's talk about a couple injury situations. One of the worst injury situations is bleeding. And bleeding scares a lot of people. I can't stand the sight of blood. I can't either, especially if it's mine. Um, but the reality is blood can't hurt you. You can touch it. It won't hurt you. It's yucky, but you, you can touch it. And the best thing to stop bleeding is direct pressure. Just hold your hand over that bleeding. If possible, put some gauze or a, uh, a cloth between you and them and push hard and keep pushing hard. If you can't stop it, you can at least slow it down. And the reality is you can't stop bleeding all by yourself. What stops bleeding is a physiological process called clotting. Little elements in the blood called platelets mix with the air and form these fibrous tissues that causes a clot. Wonderful. That slows the bleeding down eventually will stop it. But you've got to help that process by holding direct pressure over it. Uh, and we're talking not that little scraper cut you get when you're shaving or nick yourself in the leg. Uh, we're talking some blood is pouring out. Blood is really coming out. Direct pressure. Uh, if it's coming out to the point where you got almost a half a can of soda looks like is on the floor around them, now you're going to have to resort to using a tourniquet. And back in the day, we told people don't use tourniquets because you cause more harm. Well, from the science of medicine, we now know, and especially from the science that we accumulated during warfare, and we've had a, our share of those over the last 20, 30 years, um, tourniquets do help control the bleeding. But you've got to have a real tourniquet. You can't make, make a makeshift tourniquet because it probably won't work. So if you're a first aid kid or you have one in the house, one of these real tourniquets where you, you cinch it, that use that tourniquet. Before you get to that, use direct pressure. Direct pressure is your first line of defense with bleeding. Um, if it's a scrape or a cut, bleed a little bit, then we're going to irrigate it. We're going to wash it out. Uh, we have a saying in medicine is the solution to pollution is dilution. Uh, so we're going to try to irrigate any bugs that might get in there and cause an infection. We can't worry about infection right away. We're not going to put ointment on it. Uh, we're going to irrigate it. If it's a minor cut, and we're going to take care of it at home. If it's going into the hospital to get checked, if EMS is coming, they're going to wind up getting stitches, I don't want to put anything in there, nothing on there. I'm going to put direct pressure, and that's it. Uh, and if I have some gauze, wrap a, a gauze bandage around it uh, to help secure it. But then I still may have to keep my hand over it. If, somebody, if you put a big gauze bandage on a, ble- a bleeding wound and it bleeds through, put some more gauze right on top. Don't take it off. Once you put a bandage on, if you remove it, you'll remove the clots that have started to form, and it starts that process all over again. And the second and third clot take a lot longer to form. So once they're bleeding through a bandage you may have put on, direct pressure or more, more gauze right over it, wrap it again until it's nice and firm. Um, Okay, so Mr. Pagliasco, Frank, uh, yeah. excellent yeah. advice for, for our listeners. Uh, and since we both uh, were, have been planning this uh, podcast for quite some time, but uh, we both ran into time uh, uh, limitations, just wanted to tell our listeners before we do run out of time uh, what they can expect uh, to learn from you uh, the next time we do a podcast, which will be next week and uh, – uh, if you're on Podbean, uh, if you subscribe to Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, you will automatically 
be updated on new podcasts. Uh, if you don't have Podbean, please uh, download the Podbean app, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and subscribe to Dr. Ron, D-R Ron, unfiltered, uncensored. So uh, give, give them an idea what, what they can expect. Well, next, next week we're going to talk week. a little bit about another injury situation, bone and joint injuries, which are common, what we can do to help them not get worse. They're usually not going to kill somebody, to put it very bluntly, but they, they could be painful and they could be debilitating if we don't take care of them properly. So we'll talk about some bone and joint injuries. We'll also talk about diabetic emergencies. We see a lot of those that occur, um, and they're scary, but there's things that we can do. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the worst possible event, a cardiac arrest, where they're not breathing there's, uh, and there's no heartbeat. Now we're, they're in deep trouble. But there's still a chance. There's still something we can do. And we're going to talk about what we've learned now about the science of sudden cardiac arrest response um, and what not to do because there's some things that people are talking about people should do, and they're dead wrong. So we'll talk about those next week as well. Uh, that'd be great. And then we'll take some questions, and I have some questions for Frank, uh, especially some of the emails that are supposedly from the Mayo Clinic about coughing and pounding your chest and breathing deeply. And, and uh, we'll get into those next week uh, because it's really important uh, that you don't waste time and you get to do exactly what is required and, and get that 911 call in. So if you'll tune in next week, you'll have uh, Mr. Frank Polyovko. As you see, he knows what he's talking about. He's a dear friend, but more importantly, he's really uh, an educator. And uh, we'll give you as much time as you need next week, God willing. In the meantime, please uh, be safe. Uh, do wash your hands. Make sure your your interior is superior. Keep that gut healthy, microbiomes. And we will see you next week. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Dr. Ron.